Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, uh, today we're going to continue part three of our series called Unshakable. Uh, if you're new to this series, man, thanks for being here. Throughout this series, we have acknowledged um, that we live in a world that is so easily and so quickly shaken. Uh, we are so easily and so quickly shaken, but we've said it's not only our public world, as we've seen that even take place over the last few weeks, but it's also many times our personal world. Our, it's our personal world that gets so easily and so quickly shaken. Uh, maybe even this week, uh, you got some devastating news, or maybe you had a difficult situation that you had to wade through, or maybe you had to have a hard conversation, and man, it, it just kind of began to shake your world. And so during this series, we've asked the question, is it possible um, to live an unshakable life in a very shaken and sinful world? Um, and the answer from Scripture has been overwhelmingly yes, overwhelmingly yes. So kind of go ahead and give you the end of the story today, all right, when, when our life is built on the solid, unmovable foundation of Jesus, all right, it is possible um, to live a set-apart and unshakable life in a very shaken world that we'll all walk back into here in just a little bit. Um, and so today we're going to continue that discussion in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you got a copy of scripture, man, go with me. Hebrews 12 there towards the end of your Bible. Um, if you don't have a harder digital copy of scripture, as always, we'll put the verses on the screen behind me. But I think it's so valuable just to have that available in front of you um, for you to cross check me, make sure I'm not reading from uh, something I shouldn't be reading from today. Um, and so Hebrews 12 is where we'll be. And that's where we're walking throughout this series. Over the last couple of weeks, um, we've covered the first 11 verses. Um, and if you've missed that in week one, we talked about uh, just the call to run the race, to run with perseverance, to follow Christ, even when it's difficult. Um, and then last week, we talked about the power and the benefit benefit of when God loves us through discipline. Um, that, that even suffering, in suffering, God can work through that to produce discipline, to produce righteousness and peace in us because um, he's a good dad and he loves his kids and man, discipline is a son that we belong to him. So today we're going to add on verses 12 through 17 and continue just this idea of talking about how to find and how to live as an unshakable person um, in our very shaken and fallen world. So let's read the whole passage together, 12 through 17, and then we'll come back and highlight um, just some different verses and points in our time today. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 12 says this, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Um, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he was sought, even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on verses 12 and 13, but I want to take just a, a minute just to kind of give you the theme, the point that the writer was trying to communicate um, in those verses. If you think back to last week, talked about just the, the power and the benefit of discipline. It was kind of a heavy word that man, God would allow us to go through things, that he would use those things to refine us, difficult thing to receive. And so he realizes like he's kind of been beaten up on us there for a few verses. And so in verses 12 and 13, he kind of gives us this little like two verse pep rally to go like, it's okay. Like I realize I've been wearing you out, but like here's encouragement to keep going to keep walking this thing out. And then he says, hey, and, and when you walk in obedience, when you follow Christ, it matters. It matters not just to you, but it matters to other people. Verse 12, he 
says, strengthen yourself. And then verse 13 says, realize what you do matters. So live a life that would point people towards Christ and not cause people to fall away from him. So that's really what he's encouraging. So a little two-verse pep rally, get in the game, you can do it. And then he goes back into some pretty difficult challenges and commands in verses 14 through 17. So that's where we're going to hang out for the majority of our time today is in 14 through 17. Now, these verses in the New Testament are actually based on a couple of verses in the Old Testament. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, this is what we read. It says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So the writer writes this. You can see it's, it's kind of a word of caution. It's a word of warning. Be careful. Be steadfast. Guard against evil. It's a word of warning, but it's also, realize this, okay, this is where we're going. It's a word of warning and a foundation for everything that we're going to talk about and build on today. So those verses, Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. And today in verses 14 through 17, I want us to see some commands and challenges on how to live an obedient life um, in a very shaken and sinful world. How to pursue Christ-centered, God-honoring obedience in our world. Now, here's what I begin to know. That when, uh, that when our life gets shaken, all right, whatever that looks like, when your life gets shaken, not only is it easy to question your faith and to question God, kind of talked about that the last couple of weeks, but it's also very easy for your life to veer away from obedience. All right. When we get shaken, we veer away from obedience. We cut corners. All right. We tell a little lie. Maybe we compromise our purity. Uh, maybe we settle for less than God's best for us. We take shortcuts. We, we do things because, okay, well, we got to fix this because I got shaken. And so I'm you right. You with me? And so in that, not only do we question our faith, but when we get shaken very easily to veer away from obedience, to take a different path, to do what pleases us. And so today, I want us to see from uh, verses 14 through 17, three different commands um, on how to live an obedient life, a Christ-centered, obedient life, a set-apart life in a very shaken and sinful world. All right? I'm just telling you. There may be some pretty pointed things today. I don't apologize for that, but I'm just kind of warning you up front. First command today from Hebrews 12 on how to live an obedient life in a shaken world, if you're taking notes, is to pursue peace. Um, to pursue peace. Verse 14 that we read says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. The reality is every relationship on earth, um, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a parent-child relationship, work relationship, friend relationship, in-laws, any of those relationships, okay, they all contain one thing, sin, all right? Every one of them has two people who are sinners or multiple people who are sinners who are in that relationship together. And so here's what we can really easily understand, all right? We don't have to have a psychologist to help us with this, all right? When two sinners come together in a relationship, conflict and turmoil are just a matter of time. All right, they're just a matter of time. Some of you are like, amen, like on the way to church this morning. All right, it, it happened. It's just a matter of time. So, so for us, if we're going to claim to follow Christ, then we have to realize there's a command to pursue peace, to walk in that, all right, to pursue peace with others. This word peace literally means the binding or joining together again of that which has been separated or divided. That's what it means to join together again. That's the picture of peace. So what does it mean to pursue peace? to pursue peace, all right? Pursuing peace kind of is this picture of like the old hound that's after the fox in the hunt, all right? Maybe you've never been hound hunting before. Maybe you read a book about it, all right? And, and the hound, he is relentless. Like he's persistent. He will not give up until he finds his target. And what Hebrews is saying to us that if we're in Christ, in our relationships with others, 
We pursue peace with a tenacity that the hound went after the fox. That we, we walk in that way. Verse 14 actually says, make every effort to live in peace. This means as Christ followers, we initiate the hard conversation. We offer forgiveness even when it may not seem logical. We don't allow petty talk and small acts to crush a relationship. We, as Christ follows, we think the best about others. We are willing to give grace and let it go, all right, for the sake of our relationships. It's hard to do that sometimes, but we're called to give grace and to let it go for the sake of the relationships to pursue peace. No matter what the hurt, no matter what the tension, no matter what the situation, as Christ followers, we are the peace pursuers because Christ went first. He was the example for us. He pursued peace with us at all costs. Now, I wonder if people around you would say that you are a peacemaker or you a peace preventer. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace preventer? I want to give you some questions for you to self-evaluate, okay? Do you always have something negative to say? Do you always tend to see the worst in people? Do you complain about even the smallest of things? Do you constantly have trouble compromising with others? For some of us, this is, this is a real struggle. This is a real issue. There are days, just quite honestly with you, there are days and there are moments where I really struggle with a spirit of negativity. Like it just, it just comes over me. This week, I went to the fair with my family. Within 10 minutes of being there, like I just felt this overwhelming negativity. I was upset because we missed the sea lion show by five minutes, all right? And it didn't happen again until that night. I dripped syrup from my free biscuit on my shoe, all right? And I was burning up because it was fall in October and it was 95 degrees at the fair. And I just, I was mad. I just had this sense of negativity come over me. And, and I'm not joking with you. It's just if the Holy Spirit just came over me and goes, all right, hotshot, you, are you going to let this spirit of negativity all right, keep you from enjoying time with your family Are you going to let it go and let the petty stuff go so that you can enjoy the time that I've created and provided for you, right? In all seriousness, negativity, a spirit of negativity can pollute our relationships and keep us from being a peace creator. We allow, or we only see the worst in our spouse. We allow our kids or parents to get on our nerves and it reflects in how we talk to them. Uh, We complain because our coworker isn't as competent as we think that they should be. Negativity is a peace killer. It is. And if you struggle with a spirit of negativity, man, just encouragement to you this morning to to ask that Jesus would allow the peace that you claim to have inside of you, if you're in Christ, that he would allow the peace that you claim to have inside of you to be demonstrated in the peace that you show to others around you. Okay? Negativity and peace are not close friends. They're not. And Paul would say this in Romans 8 verse 6. He says, the mind governed by the flesh run by us is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now look back, verse 14 of Hebrews 12, it says this in the NIV, pursue peace with everyone. With everyone. In other words, we don't get to choose who we pursue peace with. It's not like, hey, that, that crowd, like, yeah, there's a little tension, but like, we, we get along pretty good. I'll, I'll reconcile with them. But these folks, oh, not so much. This is, we, we, it's not a multiple choice test. Like, it's everyone. Now, there are some relationships where I believe that peace may not be possible. 
There are some situations um, where the other person in a relationship, despite your loving, graceful, um, very pleasant, Christ-centered approach to peace, will simply not choose to reach peace with you. I mean, that's, a, that's a difficult place to find yourself in. Maybe some of you have fully extended yourself. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And they, would just, they will not reconcile with you. They will not receive. But Scripture says that you can walk in personal peace knowing that you have pursued them all right, to the ultimate extent. But realize this. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, as far as it depends on you, pursue peace. Notice he didn't say anything about them. He said as far as it depends on you. In other words, as Christ followers, we must be committed to doing everything within our power to pursue peace. If it's really in us, then we really got to reciprocate it back. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. This is what Paul says. Let us therefore make every effort, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I like to think of it personally in my own life. I like to think of it this way. If you haven't extended yourself to the place of personal discomfort to pursue peace, then there's a really good chance you haven't fully pursued peace. If you haven't extended yourself to the point of discomfort in your pursuit of peace, there's a really great chance you haven't done everything that you could do. Because often in our pursuit of peace, we will have to initiate the difficult conversation. We will have to admit our own shortcomings. We will have to give grace and love and forgiveness even where there is pain and hurt and regret. See, pursuing peace, it is, it is not cheap. It, it costs us something. And it costs Christ a great something. Right? But as we follow Him, we pursue peace. And Scripture says there is a great blessing for those who pursue peace with others. Look at it. James 3 just says it this way. James 3.18, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a Christ-likeness that begins to come about them because they are good at at pursuing peace. So the first way we choose an obedient life in a shaken world is to pursue peace. Now, look back at verse 14. Let's read the whole verse again. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, taking notes, here's the second way that we live an obedient life, a very shaken and sinful world. We choose holiness. We pursue peace, and we choose holiness. Verse 14 simply says, be holy. Now, here's, here's what you could substitute there. It says, be holy means to be set apart. To be set apart from sin, to be set apart for God. In 1 Peter, uh, we see it said this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 it says, but just as he who called you is holy, as God is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's word commands us to choose holiness just as God himself is holy. Now, are we ever going to be as holy as God is? No. But here's what, here's what the writer is trying to help us understand. When you come to that place of going, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. I make you Lord, leader of my life. You're sovereign. You're king. You're savior. I'm going to follow you. When we say that, what we're saying is, I want to be set apart. That's what that means. I want to be set apart. In other words, there will be some things that are different about us than there are things that are in the world. 
There are going to be some things that are different about us than the world around us. To be set apart and to choose holiness means there must be some things that we actually set apart from our old life. Around here, we like to say it's an exchange of old life for new life in Christ. And Paul would say it this way, Romans chapter 6, verse 20. He says, when you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free, or should we say set apart from sin, and have become slaves of God, the benefit you now reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. In verse 20, Paul says, a life not lived in Christ... Right? is a life that is lived as a slave to sin. You can categorize it as a slave to sin. I think we can be honest that the world that we live in, right, that is the theme of the world we live in. It, it is do what pleases me. It is be about what makes me happy. It is give myself to pleasures. It is what, do whatever I need to to be accepted, to work my way up the ladder. It, it is fight for me, but there's, there's very little to no regard for a life that is in Christ, a life of righteousness that's plans and the purposes of God. Why? Because they're a slave to sin, right? Want to know why evil people do evil things? They're a slave to sin. Want to know why good people do sinful things? Because they're a slave to sin. But don't miss the question. I love this question. Verse 21, look back at it. It says, what benefit did you reap from that life? Those things that you are now ashamed of. He says, when you live a life as a slave to sin, hear me, you ultimately live a life of regret. That's what he called it. The things you are now ashamed of. I would imagine almost everybody in here, me included, maybe chief over the room today, can think back about, if you're in Christ, you can think back about your old life, pre-Christ, and you can just begin to list the things that you're ashamed of, right? Because when you live as a slave to sin, there's a life of great regret. But Paul says when you choose Christ and you choose to find your life in him and find your hope and purpose and joy in him and he begins to redeem and restore you that in that you become a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to the purposes of God and here's the deal. Does it make life easier? No, not always. But as a slave to righteousness it carries an infinitely better benefits and retirement plan. It is so much better. Hebrews said it. It says the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. That is so much better than a life of regret. Choosing holiness carries some incredible benefits. But refusing to choose and walk in holiness carries some very notable downfalls. Verse 14 in our passage, Hebrews 12, says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Some powerful words. No one will see the Lord. What Scripture is saying is that a lack of holiness, not living a life of, Jesus, how can I honor you before I honor me? Not living that life, all right, is a critical obstacle in our relationship with God. And maybe even where you are in your journey right now, you go, man, today, like, I just... I don't really feel that close to God. I mean, I know I'm at church today and we sing about him. Like, I just don't feel close to him. Man, I, don't, I don't know that I sense God's direction in my life. 
man, like, I just like, I don't, I don't know that he's near. I don't know that he's into me. I don't know that he knows what's going on. And here's the deal. Okay. And you, you say those things, you have that feeling, but the reality is there's very little different about your life than the world around you. There's, there's very little that is set apart from you and the other students at school, from you and the other people at work, from you and the other people in your social circle, on social media that are your friends. Holiness requires us to be set apart in a very shaken and sinful world. But realize this, okay? Holiness is not something that like we create. You can't just think hard enough and then boom, there it is. You don't, you don't just go home this afternoon, create a holiness plan, and then like boom, there it is. Holiness doesn't start outwardly. Holiness begins inwardly. Holiness is a heart level change. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is is preaching one of his most well-known sermons, and he writes this. Matthew 5 verse 8, he says this. Blessed are the pure in, what does it say? Heart. Pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart. Heart means this, the center of who you are. Your will, your desires, your emotions, Holiness begins this way, with a heart change of Jesus. Yes, I surrender myself to you. Yes, I make you Lord and leader of my life. And here's what I'm saying in that. Would you come and change me? And would you come and set me apart? It's not check a box, raise a hand, pray a prayer. That may be an initial step. But the the reality of the confession is, Jesus, come set me apart for you. For you. That's the beginning of holiness. And scripture says, choose holiness. But then look at verse 15. It says, when you do that, there's power, there's benefit that happens. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Scripture says our choice or lack of a choice of holiness affects not only us. It's not just about us, but it affects others around us as well. So verse 15 says, Christ follow, live your life in such a way, or if you claim to be in Christ, live your life in such a way that those around you lean closer towards Christ and not further from him. That's how he ended that verse, right? So that no one falls short of the grace of God. So we could, we could assume today, we could see this today, that our choice to be holy or our choice not to be holy affects the holiness and the obedience of those around us, Right? Our personal holiness is not just personal. It affects those around us. Now, listen to me. Parents, this is, there's a great charge in this for us. Parents, your children will model what they see you do. All right? So, Daddy, when you have trouble keeping your mouth clean, all right, don't be surprised when Junior follows. All right, Mom, when you are quick to gossip, don't be surprised when your children begin speaking harshly about their friends or teachers or overseers, right? When mom and daddy are quick to quarrel and fight, kids see it. When mom and dad are easily angered and yell often, kids hear it. When we are, if we are really in Christ, right? If we're really in Christ, there's a call to be set apart, Because our personal holiness not only affects us and our relationship with God, it affects others around us. So when you make inappropriate jokes at work, your coworkers see and hear it. When you speak your mind, all right, on social media, it affects everybody that sees it. When you make a stand for purity, however, at your school, 
Others around you see that too. When you choose to refrain from vulgar talk, vulgar talk and crude jokes, others see it. When you choose not to jump in on the questionable entertainment or the gospel uh, gossip of your social circle, others see that as well. Our choice of holiness greatly affects others around us, and sometimes we lose sight of that. We think it's just for us. Christ goes, no, you're representative of me. And then the writer continues this thought about pursuing holiness in the beginning of verse 16. I don't know if you caught it a while ago. But verse 16 in the NIV begins this way. See that no one is sexually immoral. I believe the writer wanted to make the point to these Jewish Christians who are receiving the letter and to us as the church today that holiness affects every area of our life. Every area of our life. See, like in our culture, we get this idea that holiness is like an attitude or a posture that we take for an hour on Sunday. But like, come 11 o'clock, we take the church face off and we go back to us. that's, That's not how they're defining holiness. Holiness is to be set apart continually in every area of life. When you're seen, when you're not seen, every area of life. And that includes, apparently according to Hebrews, that includes in the area of sexuality. Now, Paul writes some instructions about this to the church at Corinth. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Follow with me. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies, if you're in Christ, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul says if you've made a decision with your life to follow Jesus, then you are now set apart as a holy living temple of God. That's why we say you don't come to church. If you're in Christ, you are the church. He is in you. So if you want to create a really good personal test for yourself on if something that you are doing presently or maybe something you're thinking about doing, if if it is sexually immoral or not, here's the question. Here's the test that you can ask yourself, right? Would I take Jesus with me to do this? Would I take Jesus with me to do this? Because if you're in Christ, he's already going. He's there. You are the temple and he dwells in you and where you go, he goes and what you represent, he represents. And if you go well, like, no, I don't know that I would take Jesus with me for that. Listen, Paul gives one instruction, one word. Here it is. Verse 18. We read it. He says, flee, run, All right? Don't stand and think about it. Don't phone a friend. Don't weigh your options. Don't go, does this feel good or that not feel good? No, just flee, just flee. And church, here's the reality today. We live in a world that is shaken by sexual immorality. Okay? And hear me, the line is not moving closer to purity. It's moving further away from purity. So here's what that means. The responsibility to be set apart in our sexual purity is even harder. Like by the day it gets harder. But there's a call to live this out. And I just want to like throw this in here. Okay, sex is a gift from a good God. But it is a gift set aside for a husband and a wife inside of a marriage relationship, period. Period. 
like, what if we've been dating and like, I really like him or I really like her? No. No. We're like, no, we've been hanging out for a while and like we, we're thinking about marriage like I told him or I told her that, that I love him. No. We're, 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 we're engaged. Like everybody knows it's coming. Like the, the, the day is there. Like I got the ring, he got the ring. T- no. No. God has given it as a gift not to be unwrapped early. All right? Very counter to everything that would be said out there. And listen to me. Somebody's got to say it. Somebody's got to say it. And if you've unwrapped the gift early, track with me, we serve a very gracious God. And he gives you the opportunity to choose purity now. All right? But there's some very clear guidelines to be set apart means to be different, not the same. It's different. All right? So if we want to live an obedient life in a shaken world, we pursue peace. We choose holiness. Go back with me. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Verse 17. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Here's the third third part. How we live an obedient life, very shaken world, refuse to settle. Man, you just refuse to settle. We pursue peace. We choose holiness. We refuse to settle. These two New Testament verses are, are testaments of an Old Testament story. A guy named Esau. Genesis. Old Testament. First book. Genesis chapter 25. I want you to see this story because I want to talk about it for a second. All right? Everybody, everybody just take a deep breath. Okay? We're not going there anymore. Okay? Take a deep breath. Genesis 25, verse 29. Look at me. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, his brother, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I'm hungry. Jacob replied, first, you sell me your birthright, Esau. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. That's what y'all say before lunch. I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. After he had sworn an oath to him to sell his birthright, Jacob gave him some East, gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, if you're not familiar with Scripture, birthright during this time um, was the inheritance rights of a firstborn son. Like, it, it, was, it was the goods. Like, it was a great privilege and responsibility and honor for the firstborn son. But in this moment, Esau comes in. He'd been working hard in the field. And he comes in, and he is hungry, all right? He may even be hangry at that point, apparently what he did. He is hungry, and his stomach is growling, and he just got to have some food. He's got to have something. And in this moment, he makes a deal with his brother to trade his birthrights and his inheritance for a bowl of stew. In today's terms, Esau traded the house, the land, and everything his mama and them were leaving for him for a bowl of chunky chicken noodle soup and some loaf bread. That's what he did. And I don't know about you, but like when I read that story, I'm going, Esau, bro, what were you thinking, man? Clearly you weren't. Like you weren't. I've never seen hunger affect somebody like that. And we look at that and we go, Esau, like, Bro, like you missed it bad. 
how could you trade something that was that significant for something that temporary? That's what we think when we read that. Can I just pose a question to you real quick? Have you ever found yourself trading what is eternally good and settling for what just seems to be temporarily good? Ever found yourself trading what is eternally good to settle for what is just temporarily good? See, as crazy as Esau's decision seems, I think far too often, like, that's you and me. That's you and me. We settle for less than God's best for us. And Paul would say it this way, Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, for as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again with tears. In other words, Paul's so passionate about saying this. He said, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, and their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul says, in this very shaken world that we live in, there will be many who will serve the God of desire. They'll serve the God of desire. Their God is their stomach, or we could say their God is their desire. Doesn't necessarily mean their physical hunger, but it means they give way to their desire. And in Esau's case, guys, he missed out on a great and incredible blessing because he gave into desire. And church, I believe that it is highly possible for us to close the door on blessing in our life because we opened it for desire. We can close the door for God's blessings in our life because we opened it for desire. And verse 17 says, when Esau wanted to inherit his blessing, in other words, he realized he messed up, I'm coming back. When he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected because he could not change what he had done. And I think there are times where, just like Esau, man, we can miss out on God's blessing for us because we settle. We settle for temporary, fleshly, earthly desires. So I want to ask you a really important question just for you to ponder between you and God. In what areas of your life are you trading God's blessings and promises because you're settling for fleshly desires? What area of your life or areas are you trading God's blessing and promises because you're settling for what is temporary, with earthly desires. Maybe it's in the area of your purity. Maybe it's time with your family. Maybe it's how you manage your financial resources. Maybe it's your willingness and obedience to serve others. Maybe it's in how you approach your work and your honesty and integrity there. What area of your life are you trading God's blessing and purposes for earthly, temporary, fleshly desires? Because we far too easily settle and we miss it. I've confessed to you before my weakness for dessert and for Dairy Queen ice cream particularly. Man, for me, uh, it was a very great test of my will when God decided to put a DQ two minutes from my house and from my work, all right? And we are still wrestling over that, and he is winning mightily. But for me, like, man, for years, I can't even remember how long, for years, my go-to at DQ, my go-to dessert is an Oreo blizzard. All right, do I have any other Oreo blizzard people in the house? Thank you. I knew we had believers here. Like, 
Like, I don't even have to think about it. You just pull up, boom, Oreo Blizzard. Drive through, inside, Oreo Blizzard. That's it. That's my deal. Like, it was, like, that's my, that's my jam. And if we're going to Dairy Queen, I just want an Oreo Blizzard. And I, all the way down to the last bite. It is good. All right. And that's been my thing. Until my daughter Kate moved in with us earlier this year. And we went to Dairy Queen one night, all of us for ice cream. And she began to tell me about this unknown thing to me called a royal blizzard. (laughs) A royal blizzard. And in that moment, I wanted to hear nothing of this royal blizzard, quite honestly. All right, I had my thing. That was my deal. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're going back. Don't change the Oreo blizzard. You cannot change. It is, that's my thing. And she began to tell me about this royal blizzard, as she called it. And I checked, and it was a real thing. And so she began to tell me about it. For those of you who are, who are not up on your ice cream knowledge, okay, and maybe I sense that some of you are not, okay, a royal blizzard is an Oreo blizzard all right, that is injected in the middle with hot fudge sauce. That is a royal Oreo blizzard, all right? And for me, Oreo was my jam. But what I began to realize was the only thing better than Oreos in ice cream is Oreos and hot fudge in ice cream. <laughs> and it has changed my DQ ordering experience forever. There is no going back. There's no way to return to just the Oreo Blizzard. And so now when I step to the counter at Dairy Queen or I go through the drive-thru, my order has changed by one word. I no longer say, give me the Oreo Blizzard. I say, give me the Royal Oreo Blizzard. And they deliver. And it is bliss. (laughs) And it is amazing. And I will not return. And I tell you that very silly illustration because I want you to understand, here's what I began to realize. For all of these years, I thought I knew what was best. But quite honestly, I was settling and missing what was really best. Church, I believe that perhaps many of you in some areas of life are settling. You are settling. For what seems to be best and it may be stroking a temporary fleshly desire in you but like Esau with his birthright and like me with my blizzard you are missing God's best for you and here's what Paul would say Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 look at it on the screen he says live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way in other words be set apart and bear fruit in every good work that you do grow in the knowledge of God be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you could have endurance and patience what we talked about the last two weeks two weeks and that you would give joyful thanks to the Father Father, here it is, who has qualified you. If you are in Christ, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. A great inheritance. Church Scripture says this world will shake you. And it will cause you to want to live a life that is veered away from obedience. And you will be tempted to settle. But man, God's word screams to us today, 
don't settle. Don't settle. In the area of pursuing peace with others, no matter what the hurt and the pain, pursue peace and don't settle. In the area of personal holiness, as set apart as God's called you to be from the world, don't settle and give in to what the culture says, but be set apart because you're in Him. In the area of your own sexual purity, be set apart. Don't settle for what everyone else is doing. But if you're in Christ, you're called to be set apart because you're a witness and you're a vessel. You're a temple. And don't settle for what seems to be temporarily, fleshly, earthly and miss and miss the blessings and the promises that God is laying out for you in a royal inheritance in Him. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.